This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Good morning, welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm extremely pleased to say, is Sarah Bentley, founder and project director of Made in Hackney, a charity in eco-community cookery school. After 10 years working as a print and radio journalist, specialising in reggae dancehall music, Sarah became jaded with the industry when a series of her articles were pulled from broadsheet papers. I think they call it being spiked. The motivation behind her journalism, she says, was to make a positive difference, to tell stories that dispelled prejudice and change perceptions by shining a light on phenomenal, overlooked, underfunded people and projects. Beyond journalism, Sarah wanted to do something tangible herself that brought about change. After a life-focusing conversation with Indian activist Vandana Shiva about the horrific impact of big agriculture on farming communities in India, Sarah was inspired to dive into community food growing and permaculture and collaborate on a funding bid to start a community kitchen. The successful bid was the origins of Made in Hackney, an all-vegan community cookery school and charity launched in 2012 that's inspired over 15,000 people across London to grow, cook and eat more plants and offer free classes for groups that suffer disproportionately from health inequalities. As Sarah says, by working on relocalising food systems, you're having a positive impact on a huge range of issues. Food poverty, inequality, climate change, reducing corporate control of our food, health and well-being. It's a hugely inspiring and rewarding area to work in. It's great to have you here. I like that name, by the way. Made in Hackney. Yeah. Great. How did you come up with the name? It's It's actually quite simple. It's a very familiar sounding name. We've obviously got Made in Chelsea on the telly, no connection whatsoever. But what we found was when we called it Made in Hackney, people would go, oh, yes, I've heard of you. And we'd been open like a week. And you're like, you definitely haven't. So we knew it was a good name then by people presuming and thinking they'd heard of us when they couldn't possibly have done. We we meet all sorts of people and people on the spectrum of billion pound companies all the way through to some of the things that happen at the other end which is that you're in the community you're for the community you want to make a change tell me this notion of change Sarah obviously you've changed careers and you've morphed and you've done this and you've done that when you were little what did you think you would be when you grew up I thought I would be a fashion journalist at first I thought I'd be an actress then I thought I'd be a fashion journalist. This is like age five or something. Um, ac- actress from age five and fashion from about age 15. And then you did become a journalist. I, I did become a journalist. I went to the London College of Fashion and realised that fashion really wasn't for me. I also had a work experience stint on a fashion magazine that shan't be named, which um, definitely hammered the nail in the coffin for any desire to work in the fashion industry. <laughs> So it was that, but what else was it about the fashion industry that wasn't right for you the way, in terms of a career? Because you can in, love fashion. Yeah, I know you, a lot of people who absolutely. love it wouldn't want to work in it. Well, my experience when I was 18, coming from Lincolnshire, starry-eyed, up from a rural market town to work in the fashion industry, people spoke to me with no respect. They spoke to each other with no respect. It was really undiverse. I was in London and everyone I met was white, which seemed really odd to me, given that I'd arrived in London to meet new people from all around the world. And in fashion, that didn't seem to be the case when I was 18. And just some incidents where, you know, I was in a photo shoot where the photographer threw their wallet at an assistant's head. 
And I just thought, you know what, this industry is not for me. So fashion, though, uh, uh, and that thing, you you move slightly to the side. There's there's the journalism piece. I want to come back to that. But just before, and I always forget to do this. I'm, I've decided I'm terrible at this job sometimes. Tell me a bit about, in your own words, what Made in Hackney is, and then I want to walk backwards again, just to, if, for those people that haven't heard of it. So Made in Hackney is a community cookery school. It's a safe, joyful, inclusive space where people can come together and learn how to cook more plant-based foods. And we do that because it's really good for people's health and also it's really good for the planet. We make it as multicultural and international as possible and we make it very non-preachy. There's nothing worse than being told, you should eat this, you shouldn't eat that, you should feel bad about eating this. Food is complicated, it's connected to people people's family history, your heritage, your emotions. No one should be telling you it's bad or good. So we just have a a safe, joyful space for people to share their food skills, share their recipes and and learn how to make more plant-based food. And in the process, we hopefully normalise eating meals that have no animal products in them and people find them tasty, delicious, they start to feel better and they're like, hang on a minute, we might be onto something here. There's something in this. I feel good when I eat plant-based food. I feel well. I feel well. Are you, I know you became a vegetarian around nine, if I'm not mistaken. Are you now a vegan? Uh, So I went vegan when I was 18. I was the only vegetarian in my family. So I wasn't following my family's lead in any way, shape or form. And then I became vegan when I was 18. I went to Jamaica as a music journalist. And I was introduced to idol food, which is the food Rastafarians eat, which is a Caribbean style of vegan food, no salt. And there's some other, you know, there's some other approaches to it. And I felt incredible. I'd been eating quite unhealthy vegetarian food my sort of throughout my teenage years. And then suddenly I was eating these incredible bowls of idol food. And by the time I came back from the trip, I felt like a new person. And I started diving into veganism and I was like, oh, I need to be doing this. Vegetarianism isn't enough. So that was part of my journey. And that's why back in 2012, Made in Hackney was born. What's interesting, I think, is there's obviously there was a passion when you were young for fashion, a passion for fashion, a passion for music, a passion for writing. You've obviously got also a passion for um, feeling good, which is natural. None of those things are money-oriented. Those things are of the senses. Those things are about well-being. Are you someone who's always listened to your heart rather than your head? I think to be fair, I've done both. So while I was a journalist and I was a journalist for 10 years, I was always following stories that I felt dispelled prejudice or shone a light on something that was incredible, but was really underfunded or under-resourced. But I was still doing jobs for money on the side. I was still doing research work for brands and bits of PR and things that I do for money and not really talk to people about to sustain my passion work, which never paid very well. So it's a juggle, really. You need to pay the bills. London is an expensive city. But where my heart was and what I wanted to do, there was never a big check at the end of that. So it was a, a combination, a balance. But the, the the fact that you've wanted to address prejudice and the fact that you've wanted to look to those, you know, the stories that don't make the headlines, um, that aren't part of, um, I think, Noam Chomsky used to call it manufactured consent, I believe. He did, He yes. did. Why? Why has that bothered you? Was it something in your upbringing about fairness? You know, because we all have our hot buttons that just change our the way we think. What was it for you? 
Do you know, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. And one significant moment in my childhood was I sat myself down in my living room on my own and watched Spike Lee's Malcolm X film. I was 11 or 12. And it really blew my mind, like the world that had been presented to me in my small rural market town was not really the world in its fullest picture. And the stories I was being told about how things are, how people are, and how society is structured is not right. But when you're 11 or 12, all you really know is that's not right. So that definitely started me on a journey of looking for, listening, reading more. And, and also going further back from that, I became vegetarian when I was nine. I remember finding out how animals were transported from the farm to the slaughterhouse, reading it in one of my mum's magazines. And I can remember feeling like I have been grossly let down by adults and adults are not to be trusted. I can remember that distinct feeling. Adults allow this to happen. It's wrong. Therefore, I need to dig deeper and read deeper. I can't just accept what I'm told. So I think those two, reading that story in a magazine about how animals are transported to the slaughterhouse and later on watching the Spike Lee movie Malcolm X were really significant and I really held on to those experiences. And I didn't quite know how to interpret them, but they certainly set me on a path of exploring and learning. Mm. And setting up that business back when you did and the funding I think happened the year before and all that stuff, was that, um, I mean, it sounds like you're very practical. If, if, if there are the other, other strong women that we can think about that have been from Grantham in Lincolnshire, um, who may have very different politics to you, but there's something about the uh, listening to you that is very practical and very down to earth about, listen, I've got to earn some money. When you set Made in Hackney up, were you aware that it had to be cash positive? Were you aware that you had to ensure that you could pay the bills as well as do something fantastic? Yes, I was. And that is a, Endless struggle for grassroots community organisations. We're now eight years deep. We started it eight years ago. We're actually a medium-sized charity now. And I never realised to do positive, impactful community work. As the founder, you would end up spending ages thinking about money, how to make it, how to bring it in with grants, how to make sure you paid people fairly, how to make sure people were being paid more than maybe the industry standard because the industry standard was too low, just questioning everything, making sure your charity was well-resourced. There's something called poverty syndrome where sometimes charities can feel like they shouldn't be offering high-quality offers because it costs too much, but then you have to really think about what kind of message that conveys to the people you're offering the service to. So it became very clear that Made in Hackney would need to be not just solvent, but successful. And along with all of our community work, we would have to develop income streams, do supper clubs, do masterclasses, have a big fundraising, you know, volunteer database. And we've been building those up ever since. But that it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. It's a kind of an irony, isn't it? The charity world has to be underpinned by a really shrewd brain. Stay with me for much more from my business shape. That's Sarah Bentley. She's coming back in a couple of minutes to tell us a lot more about what goes on at Made in Hackney and what drives her. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Michigan Academy digital sessions, which can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. And aptly, Michigan Dere's Alexander Rhodes explores how businesses are responding to COVID-19 and the importance that social value will play in success in the post-crisis world. The Michigan Academy digital sessions. 
Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. The frameworks around environmental governance and the frameworks around social governance are developing. In the most fundamental way, having a a business that doesn't pollute, having a a business that doesn't abuse and, and having a business that isn't exploitative have been around forever. But taken together in the world that we live in today, I think that businesses are in a transition of bringing these risks, which are endogenous risks to the business, i.e. they are things that are within the control of the business, into the heart of the boardroom and thinking about actually how do these reflect our values? How do these reflect our purpose? And and how do we then engage in them? First of all, to de-risk our business against regulations that are currently here and regulatory development which is coming apace towards us but secondly and i think in a a fundamental way more importantly than a pure compliance led approach what does this mean about who we are what does this mean to our customers and our staff and what does this mean about our business the mishkan academy digital sessions To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again with Sarah by popping Jazz Shapers into your preferred podcast platform. Or you can find many of the recent programmes on your smart speaker. Simply ask it politely to play Jazz Shapers and you will be rewarded. But back to today's guest, it's Sarah Bentley, founder and project director of Made in Hackney, a charity and eco-community cookery school. Do you like cooking? I love cooking. Do you? But secrets out, I'm not a great cook. I'm yeah. a professional eater. So at Made in Hackney... But only of healthy stuff. No, no. I love donuts. I love vegan junk food, but you can't eat it all the time. You need no. to be having a really good baseline of healthy food so that you stay well, you stay vibrant, helps you look after your mental health. Mm. But I love a donut as much as the next person. You, you were talking about the Malcolm X film, and I, and I had a very similar experience about racism with Cry Freedom, funny enough. And it's right. what... It's what inspired me to want to study the law, but I've ended up working in the law as well as here. You also have alluded to a conversation you had with Vandana Shiva. You know, when you read something, you go, so this person had a really interesting conversation and then their whole world was rocked. Yes. How did that come about? And what does it feel like when you've actually looked into someone's eyes, listened to them and fundamentally gone, okay, I'm going to do something different? Because that doesn't happen to many people. No, I was working at a magazine called Arise, which was a magazine about contemporary African culture and diaspora African culture. And I was writing a piece on the Green Revolution, which sounds like a brilliant piece about um, environmentally sustainable farming methods. And it's actually the opposite. The Green Revolution refers to big agriculture. And I was writing it with an African focus But I wanted to speak to Vandana Shiva about the experience in India and how the Green Revolution there had impacted farming communities. Now, I didn't know anything about this. My journalism was an exploration into issues I was interested in. And I let the experts do the talking. I just weaved it together. And um, the conversation I had with her just... I could feel my heart beating fast. I could feel my hands going sweaty. Just the way she spoke about the impact the global corporate agricultural sector had had on farming communities 
just reached me and she said the same pattern is going to happen in Africa. It's already happened in America. You know, this is a global situation. And it really changed my life. I'd always loved food. I'd already gone vegan. My mum was a gardener and a home economics teacher. You want to be different to your mum and you end up being the same thing. <laughs> she was a home economics teacher. And it just, a lot of things slotted into place for me where I just felt like food, soil, that's, I think, what's going to be my next step after journalism. Is there something of you now within this running this charity that knows that every conversation potentially can change someone's life? Or is that a little bit too poetic? I think it's a touch poetic. I think it's a journey that you go on with people and it's small incremental changes. And it's not us made in Hackney that's doing the changing. We're just providing a space for cooking. It's the participants with each other, the teachers, the conversations people have, the sharing. You know, we're just sort of providing a space for that to happen. I wouldn't want to have the enormous no. ego. I think there's a habit in our society where when you have these kind of interviews, it's all like, we did this and we achieved this. And actually, it's change happens with a whole collaboration of people and factors coming together. And so we were just part of an ecosystem of change. And we know it changes people. because They ring us up and tell us. They say, oh, I, I was a type 2 diabetic and I've been doing your classes for a year and I'm, I'm no longer on any insulin. And we had a lady ring up and say, what have you done to my father? Which is never a good opener, <laughs> if I'm quite honest. And we were like, sorry? And she said, he's 90 and he's cooking us a Sunday dinner on Sunday and he's never even been in the kitchen before. And he's bought his own cooking stuff and his own peeler and his own garlic crusher and none of us are allowed to use it. And just um, thank you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you say, you say it is, you've been the catalyst and I, and I see that. And also there's obviously... For those people in this world, there's the community-based organizations and the NGOs, which sit above it. And often people don't know that the CBOs are right inside the community, which is essentially what you're, you're referring to. You have reached out, though. The COVID-19 crisis earlier in the year that we're all still in, unfortunately. Just tell me a little bit about the thought process that led to the, some of the things that you've done and just very briefly map out what you have done. So about a month before lockdown happened, we had a board meeting and the whole board, including myself, I cannot lie, were in complete denial about what was about to we happen. We all were, Sarah. You <laughs> weren't alone. None of us could denial. believe that this was going to happen. And we were talking about business as usual, which for us means cooking classes, face-to-face -face cooking classes, supper clubs, teams in the London Marathon, fundraising with big collaborative events that are all face-to-face, -face, all very touchy-feely, all about sharing food, and about... Five days after that, I realized, hang on a minute. I'm not going to swear, but it is about to hit the fan. And I could see that all of our supporters who are in the hospitality sector would be pulling out their support. And they did. We actually lost £30,000 of pledge support in one week, which really very starkly brought it home to me what this was going to do. And that included the money we were anticipated to fundraise at the Hackney Half Marathon. It included support from a restaurant. You know, just people were just pulling the plug. I was just getting emails, doom, 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 every day. Like, we're not going to give you that five grand. We're not going to give you that one grand. That race isn't going to happen. And I was like, wow, okay, the charity will tank all the people we support and who are part of the Made in Hackney family won't have this service anymore. Crikey, what are we going to do? And then what happened? Drum roll. Then 
<laughs> I spent about five nights not sleeping. And my husband said to me, can you just stop thinking as you're keeping me awake? I don't think I slept for about four or five days. And what was going through my head was two things. A lot of people are going to suffer. A lot of people are going to be hungry. If you're medically shielding, you're going to be stuck inside. And if you are going to be financially impacted, which thousands of people will be, if you're living in the gig economy, you've got a cash job, whatever, all of that's gone, plug is pulled. It's like, this is going to be cataclysmic. So what can we do as a charity to both support and continue our work? We had a big team meeting. This was definitely not my idea. It was a collaborative idea. Before we had the brainstorming session about how we would best help, we actually had a letting go circle, which for some business leaders might be seemed as a bit hippie. But if you've got a team of people who have been working flat out on events, programming, and suddenly you want them to just drop it and move on to the next thing, you need to mark that with some sort of ritual. So we actually got together. It was our last face-to-face meeting. Uh, everyone talked about all the things they were disappointed about, you know, the parties that weren't going to happen, the community party that wasn't going to happen, the cooking group with the group of Muslim parents from up the road. Sort of let go of all of that, gave people about mm, whole 10 minutes to digest that and then went, okay, so right, what are we going to do next? But You that- were just playing with them. It's like, I'm going to give you this whole time, have a cathartic experience. Okay, fine, you're done. Move on. Right, now move on. Now let's focus. But the team did say that was so helpful for then putting us in a fresh space to look at what's coming next. And so we decided we would deliver cooked meals for free to direct to people's doors who needed it most. And we would outreach to all the community groups, third sectors, doctor's surgery, citizens advice, job centre, and let them know we were going to offer this service so they could refer households. And we started fundraising about two days after we had this idea. So not much sleep going on. And we launched a crowdfunding campaign, built the service, learned how to use a bicycle courier app, recruited a team of cycle couriers, ordered all the equipment and launched the service. There's discrepancy somewhere between nine and 11 days because we weren't sleeping much. Those sort of days merge into one, but within about nine and 11 days. So we were delivering meals to people's front doors about 10 days before lockdown because we could see if people are out and about buying food or trying to get work and really they should be at home a lot more people are going to die than they they really need to you know we should be helping people to stay inside now and if that means providing food we need to do this now so I was a bit horrified at the slowness of the response from other kind of higher factors that shall remain nameless but It was an emergency response, a speed response. And we're not an emergency service. We really learned it on the fly. And I'm sure if we looked back, there's lots of ways we would change it and improve it. But that's what we did. But I imagine your team um, that works for you loves the fact that they're working in a kind of a values in action business. Because people can talk about it. And then there's the kind of the tagged onto the profit piece. There's something else, but this is sits right in the core of what you of what you do. Are you conscious that everyone signs up to something beyond raising the money? I mean, are you con- are, are those people clear why they're with you? Absolutely. And when we interview people, there's quite a lot of questions that surprise people about their sort of moral compass. Oh, give me one. Come on. Oh, how can I? You know, what keeps you awake at night? What do you think about? If you had a, a magic wand, what would you change? If you could change anything tomorrow, 
all sorts of questions. I was a journalist, so I'm yeah. a bit of a mean, a, a bit one. of a mean job interviewer, to be honest. No, that's good. Give me another one. I mean, I you know, I don't want to give a trite answer. I need, I need to be good now. I've got to quickly think on my feet. I mean, I know what I'd say to that one, but then it would sound, it would sound contrived. Give me one more. I just want to hear because it's interesting, isn't it? Finding the right people is critical. What makes you angry? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> that's a rubbish question for me. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a job. Stay with me for my final chat with my great guest there, Sarah Bentley. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Diana Krall. And maybe we'll ask some more questions and we'll all find out we would have failed miserably at joining Sarah's uh, charity. That's all coming up in just a moment. I'm only kidding. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Sarah Benley is with me. We've been talking about all sorts of things, about people, about values. And through osmosis, we've heard about your your own leadership, and it must be pretty easy to see what you really think about and what, what's important to you. You've, we've mentioned the primacy of food and the supply chain that goes with that. And I've had a few guests along the way, Henry Dimbleby, who recently wrote the Whole Food Plan, and with his partner, John Vincent, they wrote the School Food Plan many years ago. And I've had a few chefs on who are very prominent um, around soil and so on. Have we got a crisis? Are we in the space where we should be panicking? Or do you think we're in a better place now in terms of our awareness and our knowledge and what will happen with food production going forward? We're definitely still in a crisis. You know, on multiple levels, food, just very basically food access. Many people, many households over the next few years will suffer from food poverty they you know people will be missing meals they'll be feeding their children and not themselves and some days they won't be feeding their children either the repercussions of covid through the recession through everything that follows will be that people will go hungry and we need to completely reframe how people access food affordably or for free because no one who wants to go to a food bank who wants the stigma of going to a food bank who wants the stigma of getting, you know, free school meals if you have to stand in a separate line? You know, we really need to look at, and, and Made in Hackney needs to look at this as well. We're always learning from other community leaders who have been doing free food work for a long time. You know, food banks, should they be called social supermarkets, perhaps? Instead, like wording is really important. Should we be holding more community feasts where everyone turns up to eat together? And there isn't that stigma about oh, you're just going because you haven't got enough money. You know, who wants to put their hand up and go, oh, our household hasn't got enough money right now. So when it comes to food access, I'm afraid over the next few years, things are going to get very, very bleak. When it comes to how we grow food, how we produce food, in an ideal world, everyone would have access to organic food, right? Everyone. But instead, it's really aspirational. It's really expensive. It's really exclusive. When in fact, we should all really want to be eating food that's not drenched in chemicals, right? If we could all choose that. So again, we need to look at how that can become feasible and possible. Like eating healthy, organic food should be your right. It shouldn't be your privilege. And we're a long, long way from that. Have you thought about, um, or maybe you do already, um, lobbying? Or do, you, do you get involved with your local or central government? We get involved with focus groups, we get involved with steering committees, etc., but not lobbying per se, no. Watch this space. <laughs> it's been really great talking to you, Sarah. Just before I ask you what your Sontrals and Wide is, it, within five years, and you have painted an honest and a, and a relatively bleak picture, where do you think your charity will be? What, what, what are the two or three markers of success do you think that you would hopefully look back on and say, 
we made that difference. Hopefully that we'll have provided a pathway for a lot more young people from black and ethnic minority communities to either enter the charity sector or to start their own enterprise or charity. And they're well-resourced and they're skilled up and any prejudice that needs to be surmounted to get these young people in these spaces, we would have helped to provide a pathway for that. That's our next focus. It's work experience and traineeships for young people within black and ethnic communities. Sounds pretty good to me. Good luck with that and good luck with everything else. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you and very uplifting as well, may I add. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? It is uh, Ego Ella May, Girls Don't Always Think About Boys. It's because at Made in Hackney, it's very much a matriarch. It's mainly women. We all get paid the same money. There's no founder's fee. We all get paid the same. The cleaner is on the same pay rate as me. And it's a flatline management structure. And they're really rad. And when I heard this song, it just made me think of all the women at Made in Hackney and all the women we connect with on a daily basis out in the community, doing the work, looking after people and putting others first. The song choice of my fantastic business shaper today, Sarah Bentley. She talked about respect and wanting to work in an industry where people were respectful of each other. She talked about the dichotomy between doing good things and needing the money to do them, the importance of actually raising lots of money and earning money as you go. And importantly, she talked about collaboration, the power of working with people, not looking down on them, not looking over them, but actually working with them and through them to achieve her objectives. Absolutely great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>